Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. We live in a world of comparison. We love to compare one thing to another. So I'm gonna compare uh, two things together and I want you to see if you know what the difference is between uh, these two things, okay? You ready? Here we go. Um, What's the difference between a hippo and a Zippo. One is really heavy and the other is a little lighter. Get it? It's good, right? Uh, What's the difference between a poorly dressed man on a unicycle and a well-dressed man on a bicycle? A tire. You with me? Yeah, one more. What's the difference between ignorance and apathy? Uh, The answer is I don't know and I don't care. Uh, Okay, so, really dumb dad jokes. Those are kind of fun, but the thing is, we get compared to other people often. Like, we make comparisons to to ourselves and other people, or or others do. Your kids do it, your parents do it, your spouse probably does it, your employer does it, your employees do it. It's only natural to compare people, to compare you to someone else, but it can be kind of dangerous. And actually, it can be sometimes destructive. Like, you ever been compared to somebody and, and it just... It just doesn't make sense. Like you don't see the comparison or or have you ever been given a title that you didn't think you deserved? Someone else uh, been given a title that, that you don't think that they deserve? We all wonder how other people see us. Like what do they see when they see me come into the room? What's, what's their first thought about me? And does that even really matter? I mean, it's easy to get really concerned about the difference between you and me, about, about what other people think about you. We all wanna be liked, we all wanna be popular, we, we all wanna be seen as intelligent or attractive or funny. We find value in what other people see in us, don't we? And, and what other people say about us. And this is true no matter um, what your age, but it's especially true when you're on like the younger side of life. Um, there's a problem with living on the comparison of others. And the problem is kind of obvious, right? Like what other people think is out of your control. What they think about you is out of your control. And even, even if you win the day today and everybody loves you today, there's always tomorrow. And people are, are fickle. I don't, I don't know about you. Uh, like, I don't know if you know this, but people change their minds a lot. And if you attach how you feel about yourself to what someone else thinks or another comparison or sometimes it's just what you think somebody else thinks, you're asking for an unsettled heart and an unsettled life. So I'd like to challenge one of your underlying assumptions about life today because I think that the Bible challenges this underlying assumption. I think God wants to challenge this underlying assumption and that underlying assumption is this. Who I am is determined by other people. Who I am is determined by other people. And before you say, oh, no, 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 that's not me. I'm my own person, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me how to feel. Just think about it. 
We're all influenced by other people. We just are, you can't get away from that. The family you grew up or are growing up in uh, is the most intense example and the most, uh, like it's the easiest example. You, you carry with you certain beliefs about life and relationships and money and work and marriage because of what you grew up seeing and experiencing. In the counseling room, that's called your uh, family of origin, your family of origin, and it matters a lot. When I work with couples who are getting ready to be married, we spend time, we spend usually a lot of time talking about that because you bring certain things into a relationship that you don't even know you're bringing, that are because of your upbringing. Here's a question, when your family had a meal together, for instance, was it, was it loud with a lot of yelling around the table and talking over one another and everybody like talking at once and everybody trying to get a word in, nobody listening to each other, or was it, was it quiet? and contained and, and polite, maybe, maybe not a lot of interaction. Whatever it was, that's your normal. And that's what you bring with you until somebody comes along and stops you and says, why are you yelling at me? And, and you'll, if you're from the loud family, you'll be like, I'm not yelling. And, and you're probably raising your voice while you're saying that. And, and your significant other will say, yes, you are. And it is making me uncomfortable. And at that point, you can sit there and you can think, Oh yeah, family of origin. My, my whole family is super loud and nobody listens to one another. That's the power of influence. And it can lead us to believe that who I am is determined by other people. Who I am is determined by other people. But that's not exactly true. In fact, if, if we begin to live like it's true, it can actually be very, very destructive. So we're at the very end of this series about the life of David in the Old Testament. As we finish this up today, I have to tell you that there's this thing about him that bothers me. After we study the uh, ups and the downs of David's life, and we, we, we come to understand that David was a, if anything, a complicated man in history. And this has bothered me more and more and more as we've gone on into the study, because if, if you've stuck with us through this series, you've seen that not only did David get anointed king, not only did he defeat Goliath with a rock and a sling, not only did he obey God in the face of great temptation to kill Saul and to take the kingdom in his own timing, David did all those things. Also, he sinned. And, and, and like, man, when he sinned, he sinned big. He sinned boldly. He took things to the extreme in lots of ways. Basically, David was a known adulterer and a known murderer. So would it surprise you to know that in the Bible, David was called a man after God's own heart? The prophet Samuel wrote this. He said, but, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man, he's talking to Saul, a man after his own heart and appointed him, David, the ruler of his people because you have not kept the, the Lord's command. And then Paul in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when, when he's preaching to the uh, Israelites in Antioch, he kind of elevates that even a notch further. In the book of Acts, it says that after, he says, after removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He says that, that, that God compared David to himself. That, that God said, yeah, David, uh, he's, he's a man after my own heart. And, and, and on its face, 
It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Here's a guy who committed adultery. He, he had her husband murdered and he reaped the consequences of his own sin for, for decades and the next generation of his family was a disaster because of this. Why would anyone wanna be like David? And why in the world would God himself say, hey, that guy right there, he's a man after my own heart. God doesn't overlook sin. He doesn't overlook ours, he didn't overlook David's. He takes it very seriously. But he also doesn't look at people how others do. In fact, the, the very first week of this series, we began by looking at the life of David and, and we saw early on the prophet Samuel say this about David, that, that while people looked at the outward appearance of all his brothers, God looks at the heart. And if God is saying that about David, and it doesn't make sense, well, I, I can't just write God off and say, you know, in this case, God really doesn't know what he is uh, talking about. What is God looking at that maybe I'm missing? What's he looking at that we miss? There's some good news in this. David's human, which means we don't need to put him on a pedestal. We don't need to um, unnecessarily elevate him beyond any other human. We don't need to idolize him and wish we were him, even though a lot of people around him in his day wished that they were him or were with him. The good news is that not only are there things about David that are redeemable, and even things that made him a man after God's own heart, these are things that can be true in your life and mine too. There are qualities that God desires each of us to have. And, and these are more important by, by like a mile than what anybody else thinks or says about you or when they compare you to someone else. You and I are invited into these things. And I believe that, that where others around us try to place value on us related to things like what we look like, how smart we are, our performance, how, how much we have or how much we don't have, God invites every one of us to live in these three ways like David lived. And this is within your grasp. Like you can do this. You can, with God's help, be about these things in your life. And if you do, I can like guarantee that it will change your life for the better. What are these things? Well, the first one is this, that God invites us to live out a courageous faith. You know, David's first and, and, and one of his most well-known accomplishments, as you know, was his defeat of the Philistine giant Goliath. And it took courage to face this sword-carrying, sword-wielding giant with nothing but a sling and some rocks. And before throwing that stone that would take the giant down, uh, the Bible says that David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. That's from 1 Samuel 17. David gave God credit for defeating Goliath before the giant was hit by the stone. He gave God credit for defeating him even before it was gonna happen. And it was through his faith that God empowered him to be successful. David had this giant killing faith and it stayed with him his entire life. And you and I can actually have that kind of faith too. It's not something just for David. It's not something just for a person in the Bible. In the face of difficult things, will you be able and willing to say, God, I trust you? Like, like here's how it could go. God, this relationship is really hard. 
but I trust you. Our finances are in a tough spot right now, God, but I, I trust you. I don't know what to do with our kids right now, but God, I trust you. Our marriage, it is struggling right now, but God, I trust you. I got a bad diagnosis, but God, I, I trust you. God invites us to live out a courageous faith, a faith that doesn't ignore the difficult things in front of us. It doesn't ignore the giant. It doesn't ignore the problem, but a faith that recognizes that God is bigger than any of those giants that we face. Second thing that God invites us to have is this, just like David, a humble attitude, a humble attitude. Even after experiencing amazing success in battle, David remained humble. Remember when David had the opportunity to kill Saul? We talked about it a few weeks ago and he didn't. Instead, he bowed down before him, he re recognizing that Saul was still king. Like even if he didn't agree with how Saul was running things, how he was running the country or what he was doing with his people, David stayed humble. There was a point later in his life, after David was crowned king, and had conquered his enemies, that the prophet Nathan came to David and, and he told him that God had made a promise to extend his dynasty forever. And it says that then King David went in and he sat before the Lord and he said, who am I sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? At this point, David had experienced success at everything he'd put his hand to, yet he never took the credit or considered himself worthy of that greatness. He gave all the glory to God. And this is a perspective that will change your life. Be careful that you're, you aren't taking credit for the things that God is doing in your life, that you're not taking credit for them yourself, because God invites us like David to have a humble attitude, and that means turning it towards him. And the third and, and really the most important thing that God invites us to, like David, is to have a repentant heart. David sinned, and when he sinned, he did it like in a big way, like we said. But let's don't just think of his story as this one isolated thing. Well, that's just David. It's the story of every person because we sin. And a lot of things happen as a result. There are consequences, and it gets complex fast when we do that. This is true for every one of us. There's a theologian named R.C. Sproul who's written a lot about this. He said it like this. He said, if you read Psalm 51, which David wrote, and, and we read about it a, a few weeks ago, and you read it carefully and thoughtfully, that Psalm will reveal more than anything else in the history of David, why David was called a man after God's own heart. Because here it reveals the broken heart of a sinful man who sees his sin clearly. God's not looking for you to be perfect or me and do everything right. We can't. He doesn't have these unreachable expectations for your life, but he is inviting you and me like David to live with a repentant heart, which, which just means this, that I see my own sin. I acknowledge it and I recognize the brokenness that it has brought into my life. And I ask God for help. And sometimes I think this gets misunderstood by us, uh, that, that we have to dwell on it all the time. We have to dwell on our own sin all the time and in this thing called Christianity that we have to beat ourselves up constantly and, and that it's always about what I've done wrong. No, that's not the way following Jesus is at all. It's actually about recognizing that God has done something great. He has, through Jesus, forgiven. 
And when I turn to him in repentance, which is a word that just means this, it just means turning my back on my, on my sin and facing Christ. I don't have to dwell on my sin anymore because Jesus has taken it away. I can walk forward. I can walk forward in strength and in victory and in peace, knowing that everything is okay between me and God. I don't have to worry about that in my life anymore. We're invited with a, to, to live with a courageous faith and in this humble attitude and a repentant heart, you see, the most important thing in life is, is not how other people see you. It's how God sees you. And you can be a person after God's own heart too. You really can. But it's going to involve these three things. Living with a faith that's, that's courageous in the face of giants and living with an attitude of humility. like Basically saying, God, it's about you and not me. And then having a heart that's repentant. And maybe for you, it's finally time now to begin a real relationship with Jesus, not tiptoeing around the edges, not just simply attending church and leaving and that's it, or watching a message every once in a while, because that's, that's really not what it's about. We're glad you're here, but it's not what it's about. Maybe it's time for you to begin a real relationship for, with your heavenly father who loves you and is offering it to you. And it's really simple. It starts with Oh, a word, the word accept, uh, accept that Jesus died for you and rose again so that you can have an unbroken relationship with God. And then after that word, the word next is believe. It's believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on a cross for you and he rose from the dead to defeat death and sin in you and to offer your li- you a life with him. And the third and final word is is confess. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Say yes to his offer of salvation and relationship. And if you're ready to do that today, will you pray with me? God, right now on behalf of uh, others who, who may be watching and ready to pray and ready to start a relationship with you, I want to say these words. God, I accept that what you did on the cross, you did for me. I accept that I'm a sinner in need of grace. I'm a sinner in need of the salvation that only you can bring. I also say, Lord, today that I believe, I believe that you came and you lived a sinless life and you died on a cross for me and that you rose from the dead. They were eyewitnesses to that fact. Hundreds and hundreds of people who saw you after that grave come out alive. And I believe that today, that you rose from the dead for me. And then the third and final word I just want to say today, God, is I confess. I confess that I fall short. I confess my sin and I repent and turn my back on it and turn my heart toward you. Not that I'm perfect, God, but it's, it's really the opposite, that because I'm not, you are. And you've done everything that you can to extend a relationship to me. And right now I confess that I need you and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I pray this in the incredible name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. 
Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.